Letters at Christmas. That's been our theme for Advent and Christmas this year. And I don't know about you, but I don't think it's all that unusual for people to send or receive a personal or family letter at Christmas along with Christmas cards. Letters at Christmas. It's also not unusual at this time of the year for children to sit down and write a letter that begins with the words, Dear Santa, Letters at Christmas. Last week I said that as we complete our New Testament reading in December here, the final book of the Bible is Revelation, and Revelation was actually written as a letter. Seven letters to seven churches in seven cities. Letters at Christmas. Well, imagine the letters that German and British soldiers wrote to loved ones back home after a rather unexpected experience during World War I in 1914. In the summer of 1914, World War I began, and it was fully anticipated that the war would be over by Christmas time. But it wasn't. Instead, six months into war, not surprisingly, the soldiers were feeling hungry and homesick. They were weak and weary. And so as December 25th approached, the emperor of Germany sent Christmas trees to the soldiers on the front lines in an order to, in an effort to boost morale. And so apparently these soldiers placed those trees outside of the trenches and started singing Christmas carols and Christmas hymns. And then the morning of Christmas Day, the German soldiers climbed out of their trenches waving their hands as a sign of indicating that they were not going to attack. And when it was clear to the British soldiers on the other side that they did not have weapons in their hands, the British soldiers climbed out of their trenches. And here were these soldiers from two opposite sides, literally at war with each other, coming together in a piece of land between the two, referred to as no man's land. And on Christmas Day, they socialized with each other and shared drinks and food in honor of the holiday. History has recorded what happened that day as the Christmas truce of 1941. They were at war. Both sides were battling each other, but on that day they set all of that aside in honor of the birth of Jesus. And what they expressed to each other is what we sing in the famous Christmas hymn, Silent Night, that in the midst of that war, for a moment at least, all was calm and all was bright. Even in the middle of a war, it seemed as if all was well. I share that story with you because, in a way, I think that is somewhat descriptive 
of what we read about in Revelation chapter 12. And it starts with what is described as a sign that appears in heaven. In the first six verses of Revelation 12, we are introduced to three main characters in this story. The first character is simply referred to as a woman. In verse 1, we read, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, in general, we probably could could conclude that the woman referred to here is likely Mary, the mother of Jesus. But there can also be another broader interpretation as to who this woman here that is represented. Throughout the Old Testament, we know that prophecy after prophecy announced the coming of the Messiah born to the people of Israel. We're told that he will come from the seed of Abraham. He will be born in Bethlehem in Judea. The Son of God will sit on the throne of David. The prophet Hosea says, out of Egypt will come my son. In a way, it's also fair to say that not only is the woman referenced in Revelation 12, Mary, but it's also fair to say that the woman referenced in Revelation 12 is likely the nation of Israel from the nation of Israel that gave birth to the prophecies of a Messiah that was going to be born. The next character that we're introduced to here in this first section is a red dragon. We read in verse 3, then another sign appeared, an enormous red dragon. It's probably obvious who that red dragon is. The red dragon is specifically identified a few verses later as the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. The third character mentioned in these first six verses is the one to whom the woman gave birth, a son, a male child who will rule over the nations with an iron scepter. And it's probably apparent that that son, a male child, is a reference to Jesus. Actually, there's two things in this reading that point us to the fact that this is a reference to Jesus. One is that he will rule over the nations with an iron scepter. These are literally the words that we read in Psalm 2 verse 9 that is pointing to Jesus. But also the description of Jesus ruling with an iron scepter points to his power and his authority. And actually, the word rule can also be translated as the word shepherd. So here is this child who will rule with power and authority like a shepherd. There's one other thing, though, that helps us to identify that this The son, this male child, is a reference to Jesus. John tells us that he is snatched up to God and to his throne. You see, the red dragon, the devil, thought that he had his grip on Jesus, the Son of God, as Jesus hung dead on the cross. But you and I know that's not how the story ends. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. In other words, he was literally snatched up to heaven and to his God's throne. 
The first six verses of Revelation chapter 12 literally introduces us to the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. But then we turn to the second part of Revelation 12, which begins at verse 7, where John goes on to say that a battle takes place in heaven. And so apparently in heaven, a battle took place between Michael and his angels and the dragon and his angels. And in that battle, the dragon and his angels lost. In fact, Verse 9 tells us that the great dragon was hurled down to earth and his angels with him. Now, the mere fact that the dragon was thrown down to earth says four very significant things to us in this reading. First, it clearly establishes God's position. Verse 10, we read, Now has come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah. The outcome of this battle in heaven confirms that the salvation and authority and power belong to God alone. The second thing that this means is how the devil is now described or how the devil is not described. Before this battle, the devil was described as the accuser, and now he's no longer in a position to accuse us. Why? Because the accuser has been hurled down. Although Satan would love nothing more than to be in a position to bring before God all kinds of accusations and and charges against every one of us, He's no longer in a position to do that. Instead, God now looks at your life and mine through the blood of the Lamb. The third thing that happened as a result of this battle in heaven is that Satan is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Have you ever seen how angry a wounded animal can be? same is true for Satan. He's wounded, he's defeated, he's been thrown down to earth, and he's mad. And because of that, there's now a battle going on on earth. The final verses of chapter 12 talk about the battle has now come here. With that in mind, John really highlights this in specifically two verses, verses 13 and 17. Verse 13 says, When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. In verse 17, John says, The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. 
You see, I think there's something that, that, that we see additionally here about who the woman represents, specifically because of verse 17. Not only is the woman pointing us to Mary, not only is the woman in the story pointing us to the people of Israel because the Messiah came out of Israel, but the woman here in verse 17 is pointing us to the church, which includes all of her offspring which means that the dragon is now waging war against us. Make no mistake, there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on right now, a battle like none we've ever seen. It's a battle for your soul and mine. A very generous member here at St. Michael put on my desk last Sunday morning a book that a pastor friend of his, a pastor friend of his just wrote. The title of the book is Battle of the Soul. I started reading the book this week, and as I was reading it, it said to me, this is exactly what Revelation 12 is talking about. Here's a small excerpt from that book. The Bible teaches that a daily battle takes place inside the soul of everyone who believes. On one side stands the Holy Spirit, desiring to form us into the new people we have been made through baptism. On the other side stands our sinful desires, the world and the devil himself, and they fight vehemently against the work of the Spirit. As the Holy Spirit labors continually to renew us in the image of God, the allures of the world and the desires of the flesh distract us, and Satan wants to use them to do nothing less than destroy our souls. This is exactly what the last verses of, Rome, of Revelation chapter 12 is talking about. There's a battle happening every day all around us. And Satan wants to do nothing less than to destroy our souls. How do we know that? Well, when people have stopped listening to the intelligence of the creator of the universe and instead not only start listening to but following artificial intelligence, you can't tell me there's not a spiritual battle going on. When our children and our youth are struggling with how do they understand or how do they describe gender identity these days, you can't tell me there's not a spiritual battle going on. C.S. Lewis once said, we can fall into two equal or opposite errors concerning the devil. One is when people don't take him seriously. But the other is when we don't take him seriously enough. And I think we can say that if we don't take him seriously enough, it is too easy to ignore the spiritual battle that's happening for your soul and mine. And it's in this spiritual battle that it's important for us to know what to do until the end, that is, until Jesus comes again. 
And first thing is, rejoice in the victory of the blood of the Lamb. Throughout all of chapter 12 in Revelation, there is only one place, there's only one place where John uses an imperative statement, and you know an imperative statement is a directive or a command. The only place he uses an imperative statement here is the verse that says, rejoice in the blood of the Lamb, because there is victory. Victory has been won. Even though there's a spiritual battle going on, let's not forget that the war has been won and the victory is Jesus. Rejoice in the blood of the victory of the Lamb. But secondly, know your testimony. Twice in this chapter, there's a reference to the testimony of God's people. Verse 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Verse 17, those who keep God's command and hold fast to their testimony. Be sure you know what you believe. Be intentional in expressing your faith in word and action. Don't let someone else rewrite, or God forbid, don't let somebody else erase the testimony that God has given to you of what he's done in your life. Know your testimony. But thirdly, keep watch. There are two references in this chapter to timing. One is a reference to 1,260 days, And the other is a reference to times, times, and half a times. Both of those specifically are a reference to 42 months. However, it was 42 years that the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness. Why 42? Well, about two years they gathered around the base of Mount Sinai, and then for 40 years they started their wilderness wanderings. I suspect if it was you or I wandering in the wilderness for 42 years, it would seem like an eternity, don't you think? And yet, whether it's 42 years, 42 months, compared to all of eternity, that's just a short period of time. The point is, time is short. And we really don't know how much time we have left. It may not be long before the Lord returns again. And because of that, keep watch and be ready. I don't know about you, but I suspect for many believers at least, for many believers, maybe one of the highlights of the Christmas season is gathering together in church, singing silent nights by the glow of a candlelight where we sing the words, all is calm, all is bright. And probably for a moment at least, even in the middle of a war, probably for a moment at least, it does seem as if all is calm and all is bright. Bright, all is well. 
Because after all, Jesus has been born, he's resurrected, he's the king. But let us not forget, let us not forget, whether it's at Christmas or any other time, there is still a battle happening all around us, a spiritual one. And because of that, maybe all the more reason, maybe all the more reason for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Because he's the answer. Because of him, all is well in the midst of this war. Until he returns again. Amen.